Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to be part of this ministry. May he be with you and us tonight. Art thou attending churcheth? Uh, why if noteth, if you're noteth? Um, if you are sitting home on Sundays wondering why you're so weak in your flesh, and uh, why not come down and join us at the University of Utah? We meet at 10 a.m. in a gathering we call Milk. We go through the book of Matthew right now. And then in the afternoon at 2.30, we go, we're going through the book of Romans. We call that Meet. Go to www.campus, C-A-M-P-U-S, with hyphens.com for more information. Also on Sundays, AM820 airs Heart of the Matter from 1 to 2 p.m. We like a AM820. Good Christian radio station. Check it out. Uh, if, if not on Sundays from 1 to 2, then sometime during the week. Okay, right after our program tonight, they're going to air another segment of Transitions right here on TV20. So once Mr. Johnny Cash uh, sings in the end credits roll for this program, another segment of Transitions. For more information about this excellent tool, go to www.ldstransitions.com for more information. Additionally, there are... There are some really good programs on this station. We hope you'll check them out. Doris Hansen on Thursday night from 8 to 9, uh, a program called What Love Is This? Uh, Doris came out of polygamy, and uh, so very insightful show. And then on Friday nights, Bishop Earl Erskine, he hosts The X-Files from 8 to 8.30. And what he does is he interviews people who were once LDS, who have come out uh, and into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, they haven't become atheists. They have, uh, they have found the true and living God, and these interviews are superb. If you want to be interviewed on the X-Files, go to www.xmormonfiles.tv and sign up. There are a lot of excellent resources out there online relating to Mormonism. Uh, we prefer to recommend uh, uh, websites that give you from the source, meaning from Mormonism's own history, uh, and that's why we have always recommended utlm.org. We will continue to do that because they give you from the source and they are the pioneers in uh, uh, Mormon research. But we want to show you a graphic of a couple others I personally uh, believe really offer uh, something new and original to the topic. So in addition to utlm.org, also check out www.afterallwecando.com. AfterAllWeCanDo.com, it's really an amazing site. Why? Because it lists everything the LDS are told they have to do in order to merit the saving blood of Jesus Christ over their lives. And uh, there's, 300, uh, there's 613 things, I think. It gives you the references, where it comes from, who said it. Uh, www.AfterAllWeCanDo.com. And uh, I thank Josh Durham for letting me know about that. Also, www.utahchristianpub.com. That's not Christian pubs where you can drink. It means Christian publications. It's Marv Cowens, uh, another pioneer, a great one. MRM.org, Bill McKeever, a site full of good information. Check that out. Uh, Mormonthink.com. It's chock full of information and logical thought. Not as biblical, maybe, sometimes as, as I'd prefer, but nevertheless, good on Mormon information. And then there's the Mormon Curtain. It's www.mormoncurtain.com, and that's filled with a lot of information. It's tough to know what is, there's a lot of opinion making there and a lot of mudslinging, 
but still some really interesting and insightful clips from Mormon history. All of those websites, excellent to help you understand what, that, what this religion is truly about underneath it all. Last week I mentioned the origins of this sign behind me, I believe, and uh, our friend and supporter Andrea C. was visiting Texas and she saw billboards of this sign and, and yard signs all over the place. And so she got them to send her a copy and she forwarded it to us and we've made up a thousand of these in yard signs. Um, and it, this is what, where, where'd it go? Oh, here we go. And so you get a choice actually. You can uh, go to the full outline one, which was, it's more political looking. Um, or you can go to the all red one, like the sign behind me, which is more um, uh, theological. It's like Jesus, period. Forget all your other junk. I like this one. This one is uh, your write-in candidate. And uh, we know he's going to win because we, we, we've read the book. But in any case, what we're going to do is we have a thousand of these printed up. And we are going to distribute these to the state. And this is how we're going to do it. Um, Aletheia Ministries is going to post 10 people on October 6th. It's a Saturday from 2 to 3 p.m. all along the Wasatch Front. And um, they're going to be at these locations that I'm going to tell you sitting there with 100 signs. And once they're gone, they're gone. If you want one for your home, for your office, for your car, I have one in the back of my truck, out the window, uh, come and get it. Now, here they are in Logan, in the parking lot of Oasis Books. I think we have a graphic for that. There's the graphic, the address in Logan, Utah, from 2 to 3 p.m. on Saturday the 6th. In Brigham City, Main Street Church, 48 Main Street, uh, Main Street Church. In Ogden, in the McDonald's parking lot at 21st South, and the I-15. In Layton, get one in the Winco parking lot of the Fort Lane Shopping Center at Fort Lane and East Gentile. That's in Layton. In the Salt Lake Sugar House area, downtown area, the Taco Bell parking lot, which is right across the street from Sugar House Park on 13th East near 21 South. And in Murray, get one at Lifeway Christian Bookstores right there in the parking lot. 6336 South State Street in Murray across from the Fashion Place Mall. In West Jordan, pick one up in the parking lot of the R.C. Willie Outlet Center on Redwood Road in 9000 South. And um, in American Fork, get one in the In-N-Out Burger parking lot. And West Main, it's on West Main and the I-15. And in the Provo or Orem area, University Mall on the South parking lot where Macy's is. We're going to announce this again next week so that you have uh, these things down. We also have it on the website uh, at www.hotm.tv. So we're going to give out 100 of each of those areas. Once that is done, they're done, and uh, we hope it will uh, send a message loud and clear. I have one in my front yard and uh, in the back of my truck, as I said. We think it's a great opportunity. So hotm.tv if you want a reminder of those places. Uh, years ago, I had a friend tell me about an incident here in the state of Utah where somebody who was high up on the Olympic Committee was in charge of a caravan of, of buses going up to Ogden, and something happened. One of the buses broke down or they hit some traffic, and the leader of this Olympic Committee, a very prominent LDS man, walked up to the front and he said, get the blanking, blanking, blanking things out of here. 
and the blanking was effing. The effing, effing, effing things out of here. Now this is a prominent LDS leader of the Olympic Committee and it went all around, it even hit the newspaper and of course it was denied that it was ever said. But the F-bomb in Mormonism is really an interesting phenomenon because the term is so antithetical to their outward appearance and their squeaky clean image, it, but it tends to pop out of their mouths in times of stress and, uh, or success and or disappointment. When I was a young married man, and I was playing an award uh, turkey bowl on Thanksgiving morning, and we had scored a touchdown, and the elders quorum president took me aside and said, that was effing beautiful. But he didn't say effing. And so um, he let that fly. Now, that word was not foreign to my vernacular, but I was amazed that this man called of God to lead our elders quorum would let it fly so readily. Um, of course, anyone who's ever witnessed a church basketball game uh, uh, will usually uh, realize that many people in the ward will also use the F-bomb in random circumstances. So we got a video sent to us, and it seems after the U of U-BYU game, uh, this BYU player was very frustrated with things, and someone asked him something as he was passing by. So let's take a look. I can't hear what you you! Let's see it one more time, shall we? Can we rewind that, play it one more time? BYU. Oh, that's in this word. Not that. <laughs> Can we see it again? I can't hear what you <laughs> Now, I wonder if that player, I guess he's a wide receiver who goes by JD. I wonder if he's still playing for BYU. I wonder if that was representative of the honor code. Because I can assure you if I had done that when I was attending BYU. They would have booted me. I wonder if he's still playing. I wonder how they're handling it. Let's keep uh, up on that and see what happens. But a couple comments about it. First, when you're an active member of the LDS Church, you're constantly reminded that the whole world is watching you to try to catch you in faux pas like this. Uh, because, and I remember as a member thinking, it's because we have the truth and they're trying to pick on us and show us how, how it's not true, even though we have the truth. But in reality, the reason the world loves to catch BYU and Mormons and things do things like this is because it reveals their heart. And all the facade that they have built up and heaped upon themselves as a picture-perfect people comes to, it is shown that it's just not true. And so I, being outside of the church now, I realize why people love to see things like this. It's because they have built up this facade, and when it cracks, it's really funny. But what's really interesting to me, too, uh, at least, is having studied the Word of God now uh, for some time, these people who will actually drop F-bombs, but will not drink coffee or tea, sincerely believe that they are worthy or superior to others. They will let from their heart the F-bomb fly on circumstance, but they refuse to drink coffee or tea, and they will pass their temple recommend interview. The hypocrisy is amazing. But see what religion is capable of doing in man. And without, how about a moment from the word? Oh, yeah. Before we get into the word, just a, two quick announcements. Adams Road, last Salt Lake area show is going to be tomorrow night, Wednesday, September 26th at Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, 7 p.m. 
If you've seen Adams Road or haven't seen them, go on down to that. I'm sure it's gonna, uh, there's going to be some room, maybe not, but rush on down there tomorrow night. Also, and this is important, I was stunned by this, by this announcement. VeggieTales characters Bob and Larry are going to be in person Saturday from 11 to 1 at the Lifeway Christian Bookstore. Veggie Tales, the cucumber in person, and the tomato are going to be there, known as Bob and Larry. So grab your kids, rush on down to Lifeway Christian Bookstore on State Street and Murray across from the Fashion Place Mall. Uh, astounding things happening here in Salt Lake City. Okay, in John chapter 15, he presents us, the Lord, with one of the most beautiful uh, and insightful teachings uh, as our king. Let's read the first eight verses. He's, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If a man abides not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall ye be my uh, uh, disciples. A few things I want to make about this teaching uh, here. Repeatedly in it, Jesus says, I am in you, you are in me. This is teaching uh, is passed over completely by the LDS because to the LDS it's impossible for Jesus to be inside a believer. They will try and say that the spirit conditionally dwells inside us, but not Jesus. Why? Because they say Jesus has a physical body and therefore he could not dwell inside a man. But Jesus repeatedly says here and in other places, I am in you, you are in me. Whether you realize it or not, this is a tremendous support for the idea of Trinity. It's a tremendous support for Trinity. Because if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in somebody, that is Christ dwelling in somebody. That is the Father dwelling in somebody. And that is what he's saying there. Can Jesus live in us? Scripture makes it clear. Listen to Galatians 2.20. It says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ lives in me. Does Christ live in you, Latter-day Saints? Does Jesus Christ live in you? Ask your bishop. Ask your seminary teachers. Ask your prophet. Does Jesus Christ live in me? They will tell you no if they're following their doctrine. Because they say only the Holy Spirit. And they separate those three out. The second point is the fruit analogy presented. You see, Jesus says that unless Christ is in you, we can do nothing. There is nothing we can do. Well, wait a minute, an atheist might say. 
I don't believe in Christ at all. He's not in me, and I do plenty of things, even good things. That is not what this means. It means that we cannot do anything relative to him that he would recognize unless it's him in us pushing us forward to do those things. Uh, we can't do his works or things of lasting merit unless he is in us directing us. So since the Latter-day Saints say Christ cannot live in us, cannot be in a person, how are they able to do anything of lasting merit? Since Christ says, without me, you can do nothing. A question I want you to think about and ponder. My answer is they can't. That they will, when they face him, uh, they, he, they will say, I've done many, many wonderful works in your name. He'll say, I don't even know who you are. And that's the point of it. Does he live in you? And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we come to you and seek you. And for those who are searching, those who are truth seekers and want to have you in them, Lord, we pray that you will open up their eyes and ears and hearts and you will come unto them. We pray you'll bless our volunteers, staff, uh, other programs, whoever is in the ministry of reaching out to others, Lord. We pray you will bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I started something with this going through the Bible and pulling out verses because now I can't stop. And, uh, and we're pulling out verses that, that make Mormonism a doctrinal fraud. And we're just pulling out as we go there quickly. And so we'll finish this in the next few weeks. It's interrupted our Mormon study. But nevertheless, uh, we're, tonight we are in the book of Acts and Romans. I'm going to touch really lightly on the book of Acts. Uh, not because there aren't a whole bunch of passages that you can use to show Mormonism is faulty in its teachings, but the book of Acts takes a lot more history and uh, looking forward and back through scripture and explaining certain passages, and that's just not conducive. But I will touch on the highlights, and then we'll hit Romans. So let's go to Acts first. Uh, most of you know that Mormons believe that they have a prophet like unto Moses who is on this earth today. But Acts 3.18 lets us in on a secret relative to prophets. It says... But those things which God before had shown by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ, should that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. So what that passage says is all of his prophets, God's prophets, have been prophesying and telling of Christ. And then it says, and Christ has now fulfilled them. That is why there are no more prophets like unto Moses since the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ. He fulfilled all the prophecy related to them. And there's no reason anymore for prophets to be receiving revelation since the revelation of God came in the flesh way back in uh, uh, the turn of the, uh, of the meridian of time. Okay, Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, salvation means living with God after this life. That's the biblical definition. We are saved from hell. We are, that's salvation. We are living with God after this life. If this isn't made clear, the LDS like to twist that term and say salvation just means being resurrected. And that is the free gift of Christ. Uh, a good question to follow up with Latter-day Saints if they say this is, well, okay, so you're agreeing that there's no other name under heaven except Jesus Christ. Would modern men and women get to live with God the Father after this life, Latter-day Saint, if Joseph Smith had not restored the temple rights to this earth? 
Could modern men and women die without Joseph Smith's work and go and live with God the Father after this life? If they know their doctrine and if they know their history, they would have to say no. Joseph Smith is necessary. What he did was necessary for the salvation of men. We have the quotes from the prophets and apostles over the ages stating this. And so they have to then negate that there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. Or they have to re, uh, uh, write what the mean, meaning of salvation is. Okay, Acts 7, 48, 49 puts the subject of temples in its proper perspective. It says, Howbeit the Most High dwells not in temples made with hands. As said the prophet, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, says the Lord? Or what place? For my rest. By the way, Acts 17, 24 reiterates the same thing. The LDS call their many temples the house of the Lord. This is simply not true. The Lord does not dwell in temples made with hands. The earth is where he rests his feet. God is the spirit. Uh, and the heavens are where he reigns on his throne. Have you ever thought about those particular imageries that it says, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. I'm just, I'm just kicking back here. This is how I oversee the whole thing. They put him in an anthropomorphic body, so they aren't able to do that. He does not dwell in temples made with hands, and heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool. Acts 13, 39 speaks of human justification, and it says, And by him, meaning Jesus, all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. That's Acts 13, 39. You see, our faith in Christ, the only one who ever kept the law, becomes the source of our justification before God and not by and through some lousy, faulty, idiotic attempts to be righteous through obedience to a set of rules. It's impossible, Acts says there, for us to be justified by our attempts at obedience to a set of rules. But by him, all that believe are justified from all things. All things, it says. From which we could not be justified by through the law of Moses. Peter amplifies this concept later in Acts 15, 9 through 11. Luke quotes him, speaking to some Jews who wanted the believers to be under the law of Moses. Peter said, put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they. There is no law, no obedience to a law that anyone can keep as a means to save themselves. It's impossible. James says it clearly, LDS people, you can obey every law in the Bible perfectly, Old Testament, all the way through uh, the Gospels, perfectly, your entire life, James 2.10. And if you fail in one of those, at the end of your life, after a life of obedience, you are guilty of breaking every single one. Do you understand the implication of trying to please God by law when he sent his son to do it for you? That's the seriousness of it. Let's go to Roman passages right now. Uh, and just to put the book of Romans into some context, uh, it's important to understand this. We started studying the book of Romans a year ago 
uh, in our afternoon class, and we are now in chapter 9. So tonight, I'm just hitting some highlights. We could literally go through every uh, passage and spend another year, and we wouldn't get through it. It is so deep. But these passages are really important when it comes to uh, highlighting differences between Mormonism and biblical Christianity. And we're just going to hit some of them right now. Uh, first, I'm going to hit one that is in Romans chapter 5, and then we'll go back to Romans chapter 1. Here it is. It says in Romans 5.8, God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, shall we be saved from wrath through him. Two things about this passage relative to Mormonism. First is um, we don't gain acceptance uh, from God because we are clean and we've repented and we are righteous. We gain acceptance from God because we believe on his son who is clean and righteous. That is so different from what the Mormons say. I remember as a Mormon missionary, as I was a zone leader at this time, and I had to interview a woman and I had to ask her morality questions uh, to see if she was worthy of being baptized. You see, that is not the picture that the Bible presents. The Bible says, while we were sinners, God saved us. You see, in that state. Uh, I remember uh, a pastor saying on the radio, if you could get yourself right before God by repenting, then Jesus isn't necessary. You just repent yourself right before God. But it's not possible. This is why the passage says that he commended his love toward us while we were yet sinners. He saved us as we are. Really important because the LDS make people change before they can be received by God. What hogwash. The second point in this passage is that, uh, in effect, it says, and much more the fact that Christ died for us is the fact that having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath. Having been justified by his blood. Being justified is the opposite in the Greek of being condemned. If you're justified, you are not condemned. You're not under condemnation. The slate is wiped clean, past, present, and future, of all your sins by the shed blood of Christ. But this is only part of what we receive as Christians when we receive what God has for us through his son. We are justified. We are not Condemned anymore by his shed blood. Acts 26, 18 makes it plain where Jesus says that he came to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So the first passage I read to you talks about justification. That is, you are without condemnation because of your justification. The second passage I just read to you talked about you being sanctified by faith. This is a concept that LDS completely reject. They will say that you can be cleansed from your sin by Christ if you do everything right. Uh, and they believe in that justification in that sense. But they completely ignore the fact that the Bible teaches that you are imputed with Christ's righteousness, which makes you not only justified, clean slate, no condemnation, but sanctified, pure and righteous and holy before God. Do you see how you get both of those in the package of Christ? The LDS say, no, 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 you have to make your own righteousness. You have to produce your own righteousness before God. That is just not true. 
you are completely sanctified and justified by him. Okay? When you meet a faithful Mormon, uh, they are typically defenders and believers in Mormonism, in the church, in uh, their apostles and their prophets and their leaders. Romans 1, 16 through 17 says plainly, Paul, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. That's what it says. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Everyone that believes, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Not a church, not rules, not ordinances, not rights. The gospel. And what is 1 Corinthians? How does it say the gospel, what the gospel is? That Christ came, he lived a sinless life, he died and suffered for sin, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. That's what the gospel is. That is the biblical gospel. It's nothing else. Baptism's not mentioned in there. Reading the Bible's not mentioned in there. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came and did what we could not do. We believe on that, and we are saved according to what Scripture says. The LDS say no. A couple of other ones before we go to the phones. In light of Mormonism and their worthiness demands, I find Romans 3, 10 through 12 really interesting. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands. There is none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that does good, no, not one. There is, let me tell you something, and then we're going to wrap it up with this tonight. Let me just tell you something before we go to the phones. Your flesh that you're born into, when you take your first breath as a baby, never gets any better. Never. It learns to, to, to behave better, and it learns to do things that are acceptable or not, but it itself never gets any better. It is carnal. I, I taught a seminary class in the LDS church, and all the girls were being mead to this one girl who uh, did something sexually wrong with a boy. And all the girls in the class were kind of uh, on her case because she made a mistake, and it was really well known. This girl had some moral problems. And so, you know, I said, well, girls, you know, tell me who your hero is. And I think at that time it was Christian, uh, Christian Slater. Who is your, who's someone you really like? Oh, Christian Slater was really... I said, well, what would you do if Christian Slater came to town, girls, and he started paying you attention? I mean, he asked you to go out on a date. And Christian Slater started sending you flowers and, and giving you candy. You know, you're so morally upright while you sit here and judge this girl. What about yourselves? Have you been faced with your own flesh? I'm going to tell you something. Our flesh is totally corrupt, completely corrupt. We make ourselves believe we're good. But if the right circumstances are presented in the right time, our flesh, if we are not being led by Christ in us, will fail us. It could be a money deal. It can be something with uh, another uh, human being. It can be anger when you're cut off on the road. It can be impatience towards somebody who needs patience. I don't care what it is. Your flesh will fail because it does not change, you see. And that is what it's saying. There is none good. There is none righteous. No one is doing any good. It's only Christ in you, like it said back in John 15, him doing the works in and through you that you're able to produce the fruit that, that God looks at and says, ah, all right, beautiful. Do you get that? This is what Mormonism, uh, why it is so fallacious and why we go after it so strongly. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We have William and Bountiful. He is semi-LDS. And we have Emily in West Jordan. 
who is not LDS, both first-time callers. We're going to get to you in a second. Before we do that, just a couple quick things. Uh, let me look here. Where is it? Okay. First and foremost, we want to thank all of you for your calls, your emails, your letters. We read every single thing you send us, and we appreciate it. Please keep them coming. If we don't respond, it's because we're understaffed, but we work on it. And just know that we really appreciate everything that you send uh, to us, and we thank you here and now. Have you checked out our ministry websites lately? There are four of them waiting for you. Bornagainmormon.com, that's where it all started. Tells you about the ministry. Xmormonfiles.tv, you can see Bishop Earl's interviews with people who were once LDS. Campus.com with hyphens between each of them. Uh, you can check out what goes on at church, and we're loading up our sermons on campus now. And finally, HOTV, HOTM.TV, Heart of the Matter. Uh, all the archive programs are there. Home to streaming video access. And our new store, we have a new store up, and it offers 13 original products, including Joseph Smith T-shirts, bumper stickers, books, CDs, DVDs. For example... In, uh, we have um, a new CD out. It's called In His Word 2. And um, In His Words 2 is great. For instance, Romans 5.19 says, and part of 20, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall be made righteous. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Now, we put that to music. We sing that at campus. We're going to play it for you. That's not the scripture we're trying to sing tonight. That's all that's on there. Well, that's one of the songs. That's the wages of sin is death. But anyway, the new CD is out. In His Words Part 2. There's an In His, per In His Words Part 1. Uh, check it out at the website, hotm.tv, and you can pick that up. It's, I, we give you a, a money-back guarantee. If you don't like it, send it back, and Derek will refund the money uh, for you. He's going to kill me for saying that. Uh, listen, we're going to go to William and Bountiful online, too. William, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Um, I'm a longtime viewer, and I have my son watching with me tonight, uh, who's 13, and... We have a couple of questions. Actually, he has a couple of questions, and the one, we, it, it doesn't mean to be disrespectful or anything. He's just, he's just curious at that age. Is uh, uh, They talk about there's no beginning and there's no end. How do you explain that as, as far as the, that there's no beginning? And the other is, his question is simply, who created God? And I'll hang up the phone so I can listen off the air. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Uh you ask two I, I have to explain it this way. In order to reach people with something more than what this book gives you, you've got to provide answers, even if those answers are pulled out of a hat, so to speak. And so where God came from is answered in this book by he has always been. Now, we live in, with finite minds, in limited bodies, and limited exposure. I can barely find my right shoes in the morning. I could not possibly begin to uh, explain where God came from. Joseph Smith said, listen, I don't like these mysteries that are left gaping holes where I have to live by faith. 
I'm going to answer them so that people can come and believe in this system rather than the book where God himself, all he says is, I am. And in the Hebrew, that means I am the self-existent one. Self-existent. There is no creation of him. And uh, beginning and end, I can't begin to articulate that either. I am not smart enough nor well-versed enough in, in, in any of the sciences that begin to work on that string theory and all that stuff. Couldn't do it. But here's the deal. What I want you to understand. There is a true security in saying, God, I trust you. And I put all my faith and trust in you. And when I die, if you choose to show me and help me understand, fine. But I am not going to go outside of what you have told us and accept answers that men have come up with to make things satisfactory to my heart. You know, when it comes to the creation, William, God gives us, what, maybe 33 verses or something like that? He doesn't tell us how he did it. He doesn't tell us how molecules or atoms or what he even calls them, how things are put together. He tells us nothing relative to creation. All he says is, I put it together. And we, in Hebrews, it says we walk by faith. And we trust that he has said these things. And so we go to this book and we read it. Now, some say it's not enough for me. And I don't know what to tell them. I say, this is what the book tells me. This is what I believe. I hope that helps in some way. But William, you and your son, I have a challenge for you while you're sitting there in the, in the uh, living room watching the show. After it's over or right now, go to God and say, listen, this guy on TV, he said, say, you show me. You show me you are real, that you are the self-existent one, that you do not have a creator, and that I can rely and trust on your word. Show me, open my eyes, and maybe together you can have a father-son and start reading the book of John and see if he does that. That's my challenge to you, best I can do. We are going to uh, Jeff, a pastor in Tooele. He has a verse. Jeff, with a verse. Hey, uh, uh, this is Pastor Center again. I know I called you about a month ago, brother, uh, but I wanted to give you a verse. You, you read Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse 20, uh, but 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. The Lord did not die in vain, brother. <laughs> Amen. It's a good one, my brother. We're going to get to that when we cover Galatians. Tonight was more, but I understand what you were doing and what you're doing. Thank you so much. Hopefully it reached somebody's heart. All right, brother. Okay, talk to you Bye-bye. We're going to Emily, West Jordan. Emily, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay. You're on the air with Sean, now live. Nothing I say words. Emily, you're on the air. Okay. Wow, what did you say I should say? Is this Sean? Yes, it is. Oh, okay. I First of all, I want to applaud you for making a difference. Uh, you have come a long way since your first show. <laughs> and I would like for you to comment, and I'll hang up. Okay. If Mitt Romney should get the vote, wouldn't he have to take the oath by putting his hand on the Book of Mormon? No, he would put it on the Bible because the LDS like to tell people they believe in the Bible. Oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Yeah, okay, thank you so much. You're welcome, take care. 
You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I got to tell you, I'm not talking about Mitt Romney. I'm talking about any Latter-day Saint who takes office. I'm telling you, they have long sought for theocratic control. You think I'm nuts? You just wait. You wait till you pastors start seeing the missionaries knocking on doors and yanking out people from your pews so that they become Mormons because they have basketball courts and it's so fun with their family outings and everything. It's just really good and they believe in Jesus. You just wait. You just wait. Mark my words. I hope they play this somewhere someday in the future when your, your congregations are being depleted by these wolves. With their, with their answers, like the earlier caller wanted, and supply all the answers to people, you wait. So you think you're so smarmy and smart by putting a, a good businessman in office who's LDS. We're going to suffer for it. So uh, I don't know how, how much clearer I can say that. Okay, listen, we are going to go to uh, off-air. How do you know if someone is a prophet versus has the gift of prophecy? Um, it, there is no a prophet, so to speak, as... Um, Moses. Um, this is why a lot of people don't understand this. Jesus called his apostles. He called 12. Judas failed him. And Paul came and Jesus taught him in the, in the desert of Sinai for three years. He taught them everything he wanted them to know. And then he told them, go out and be witnesses of what? Of my resurrection. Of my resurrection. So they did and they wrote and we have those writings that make up the New Testament, the New Covenant. We have the Old Testament and the New, and hand in hand they go together. And we need no more witness, because those guys witnessed him. They gave their lives for it, and that is the, that's the story, you see. And so the office of prophet like unto Moses is no longer. Because we don't need someone receiving revelation since the Holy Spirit moves into believers now. And God relates directly to believers... Remember, the children of Israel did not have the Holy Spirit living in them. And so Moses would talk with God and he would go and help the children of Israel understand what God wanted them to do as their mouthpiece. We don't need that anymore. The Holy Spirit lives within. And so the office of prophet's gone. Now, the gift of prophecy, how can you know it? Typically speaking in the New Testament, when someone has the gift of prophecy, it is they are a teacher. It doesn't mean they're teaching that, hey, in 2014, a meteor is going to strike the desert. It's they are teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Usually that's the context. If someone has the gift of prophecy, so to speak, and says, thus saith the Lord, I'm telling you, I have the gift of prophecy. A meteor is going to strike the desert. You wait to see if it happens. If it happens, they have a gift of prophecy. But I wouldn't base all, I wouldn't put all your eggs on that person. I would look at them with, I would see how their prophecies relate to the word of God. Every single time. Be very careful with people come to you and say, I've had a revelation for you from God. This is what he wants. Be very careful. God will work through you too. It's a two-way thing. It's like the cans with the string. If God talks to one person and that person says, this woman should be my wife, then God will talk to the wife and say, he should be my husband. It doesn't just work one way anymore because the Holy Spirit lives within believers. Uh, Off-air info, 1990 BYU-Hawaii game, F-bomb on national TV. Off-air, ditto, F-bomb, Utah fan on T. Well, you know, uh, I guess it's not so abnormal uh, in their walk. Okay, listen, a couple emails while the operators are continuing to clear your calls. My name is Sam. I'm from Sacramento, California. I just recently converted to the LDS Church, and I am very happy with my decision. I'm glad you're happy, Sam. Happy, happy, happy. Um, I do not... I do want to thank you because watching your videos on YouTube has allowed me to question my faith and fully, 
investigate it. And I'm happy, again, happy, happy, happy Sam, uh, to say that I have come out on the other side much stronger. Your uh, show has taught me to fully embrace. And so he goes on and talks, and that's fine. Then he says, but to my question, in your opinion, grace is the only measure of salvation, right, he says? And the LDS believe in grace and works. So, since Mormons hold these beliefs, do you believe they will be saved? Look, at, generally speaking, I could not say Mormons will be saved. I could not say anyone who calls themselves a Christian will be saved. But somebody who believes that they have to work in order to earn God's approbation and love, I would seriously question their understanding of who Jesus is and what he did. You see, it cannot be grace and works. Paul points this out because if it's grace, it can be no works. Because if it's works then, and grace, it's no more grace. That's what he says. It's like being sort of pregnant. You either are or you aren't. Grace is either grace, it's a gift, or it's not. There is no grace and works. That is an absolute lie. It's like saying she's pregnant and she's not, okay? So understand that. If someone wants to believe that thing, I feel sorry for them because they don't truly know what Jesus has done and who he is. Hi, Sean, whoever reads this. Uh, of course, you have thought about this. The missionaries come to your door. I'm going to summarize this email. And they give you the Moroni 10 challenge, and it says you pray and you ask God if these things are not true. That's what the actual promise says. You read the Book of Mormon. And it says, and if you pray and ask God if these things are not true, he will reveal it to you. And, and, and it goes on and talks to you about how he reveals it, etc. And what this writer is saying is, why does it say that you ask God if these things are not true? Because then if you get a, a sense or a feeling that they are not true, you believe that is proof that it is true. Do you understand? And it's just a, bottom line, it's just a, a linguistic King James Version manner of speaking. I agree. It's really crazy to read that and say, ask God if these things are not true. And if he then tells you that they are not true, then they are true. It doesn't make any sense. And it's just another one of these convoluted things. Bottom line, you don't go to God and say, um, tell me in my feelings if this is true. You say, open up my eyes. You say, show me. And then you go and you search. And you wait for him to reveal himself. And he reveals himself through his truth, which does not contradict his word. Debbie in Johnson, Debbie in Jordan, West Jordan, excuse me, is on line one. Debbie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. Um, you know, I have a question. Um, my boxes are LDS, and they noticed, you know, I wear a cross. And they told me that I'm missing out on a big dimension of life and I need to come to their church, but from what I see, it looks to me like the Mormon religion is basically a cult, um, but they have the name of Jesus Christ in the name of their religion, but that they don't really believe anything that Jesus said. So how do I respond to that? Well, um, are you a, Debbie, are you a, a church attending Christian? Yes. Do you, do you read the Bible? Yes, I do. Okay, so you have an understanding uh, somewhat. We all try to understand what the Bible says. And so you have an understanding of who Jesus is. Of course, yes. And, and I so, wonder how they can put 
the name of Jesus Christ in the name of their religion, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Well, remember that the Lord himself said many will say, Lord, Lord. Lord, Lord, his name, that, that's his, you know, his title, his name, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, I don't even know who you are. They will use his name. We are warned time and time again of false prophets who will come as wolves, ravening wolves in sheep's clothing. And they'll appear so kind and so gentle and so refined. And uh, they're going to uh, beguile many people. And that's why Paul and the Lord always warned against these false prophets. You see, because, Debbie, they are preaching a false gospel. Like you said, it's a cult in the sense of how the, the methods it uses to keep people in. But I want to tell you probably what it is more. It is a business. And it, that's solely what it is, a business. And it's run by businessmen. And it's there using Jesus' name to get your money, to get your time, and to build up the empire for control. And so they use totalistic methods to do that, cultic methods. But bottom line, it's a business. These men who work, it works for their family. They teach good morals. It's really fun. They have good activities. You can't deny that. They believe in family. They don't like divorce. The problem is Jesus is not the head. He is not the one that they focus on. They don't praise him. They don't worship him. He is a footnote to the religion. He rarely comes up. And if his blood is going to be uh, uh, effective in cleansing away sin, that person who's in the church has to prove that they're worthy of that blood uh, cleansing the sin. So the whole thing is a farce. And I'm sorry I sound so angry when I talk about it, but it, it's, it's passion. And I think you're sensing that. What to say to them? I would say Jesus is enough for me. Jesus, period. He is enough for me. That's what I would say. And if they give you a comeback from that, call and tell them, then we'll go from there. If you want to set up a lunch with your bosses, I am more than happy to come and sit and, and talk in depth with those men about the differences between what they are suggesting to you and not. Well, I, I would like that because they're, they're very nice people and I feel sad for them because I feel like they've just been so misled, but yet I don't know what to say to them. Yeah. They are my bosses. I don't want to yeah. lose my job, but... Well, ask them if they're interested in a lunch. Say, you can bring all, if there's three or four or five of them against, uh, not against, but you have somebody who would love to come and sit and explain the difference between what you have, Debbie, and what they have. Okay. Yeah. That would be great. Go to hotm.tv, email us, and tell me when and where if it works out. Okay, thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. God bless. Bye. We're going to Rick and Ogden. Rick is LDS. Rick, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Rick. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. You got to turn your TV down or this conversation will never work. Okay. Is it down? Yeah, I don't see myself on the TV. Well, that's because we don't have a camera in your living room. Is this John McCraney? It is. You're on the air. Okay, well, I think uh, you're grossly misinformed about the uh, the works thing. Really? Yes, the LDS think they have to work. But people don't understand. The Book of Mormon says that we are saved after all we can do. All they're, all they're trying to say is that you're saved by works. And you're not saved by works because you can't be saved by your own works because only the power of Jesus Christ can save you. Okay. I'm just saying that it's up to the grace of Jesus Christ in order to do it. See, that's the reason why 
That's the reason why. You're still listening to talking yourself. Talking about you? the grace. I mean, you're you're, t you're throwing James one five clear out the door. Okay, first of all, James, James says, two. James two says says that you have. Oh my gosh. Oh. Dude, you're hurting me. You're actually causing me physical pain right now. You don't think that after seven years of being on the air and 40 years of being LDS and 10 years of being a Christian that I don't know what James chapter 2 says and the context of which it's said? This is not pride. I'm this just is talking about it. talking about Rick, you do not know what you're talking about. You are absolutely do not know what you're talking about. You think you do, but you don't. Look at Listen, I can prove to you. Just listen You can't to me. prove I can... anything. Just stop. Oh, you're embarrassing me and you. Prove to you that we were created spiritually first through the Bible. And it does not predict, contradict 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that says you were created naturally. I can also show you through the Book of Mormon yeah, prophecy. Rick, Rick, three different places. Let's just stay on. Let's just stay was, on grace, okay, Rick? Uh, come ahead of time, Rick. Let's just stay. To show on, you at least in the Bible. Rick, let's stay on grace. In the okay. Bible, at least 12 times it testified to the Rick. Incomplete. Rick, let's just stay on grace, okay? Probably, and it's begging for its completion. You should have me on your show so I could. So we can have everything. Oh, this is this, Rick. Show oh, oh, okay. This is this, Rick. Have it every, oh, wait. Have it. you got to stop talking so I can explain to the audience who you are, okay? I'd like to explain to our I viewing audience. Group in modern history. Rick, can you shut up so I can explain this to our audience? Please, or i got to take you off. Ten different things that I think they need. That's the problem with Rick. Rick called us and called us and called us and called us and said, I can prove everything by the Bible that you are completely wrong. I, I was really intrigued by his chutzpah. And so I, I actually called him back. And we had a discussion. I said, let me, this was a couple Tuesdays ago. I said, Rick, let me just, um, okay, I tell you what. Tune in next week, and I'm going to start off with the story of Rick. Uh, tune in next week, because the story of Rick needs to be heard. Uh, and you'll understand it. But we've got another LDS caller here, and I've got to take him. Uh, uh, no, we don't have an LDS. We have, uh, we have somebody on line three. Let's just take it. Shannon, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Rick. Um, I, not Rick. Sean, I'm sorry. Um, I got a little story. I called the missionary at the LDS church offices several years ago and had him send me some missionaries because I had questions I um, wanted answered. Yeah. Well, I came up with questions that they could not give me answers for. They kept sending me different people. Finally, they sent me the leader of the um, missionary training center, and I asked him questions he couldn't answer. Finally, I thought, well, I'm going to ask God. I got down on my hands and knees. I put my hands in the air, and I said, dear Lord, if this is the truth, give me, bend my stubborn will and tell me. He sent me a black tornado. Uh, what is a black tornado? A black tornado just was a black thing. It looked like a tornado coming to me. My eyes flew open. I looked at the leader of the MTC, and I, MTC, and I said, my, uh, my God is so mad at me, he won't even talk to me. He, the leader of the MTC got up, walked out my front door, and it was 20 years before he even bothered me again. Wow. Well, that is a wild story, Shannon. I really appreciate you sharing with us. I hope I never see the black tornado. Yeah, it was scary. Uh, it sounds scary as all get out. Thanks for calling, my friend. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, remember, Adams Road tomorrow night, Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, uh, uh, Beavis and um, um, uh, Larry and Bob. 
VeggieTales on September, Saturday, this Saturday from 11 to 1 at the Lifeway Christian Bookstore in Murray. You got to get down there. Cucumber and tomato, man. And listen, go to HOTM. You can get uh, the time and place that we're going to be in your area handing these signs out free to anybody who wants one for their lawn, for their car, uh, for their bishop in their neighborhood. Uh, anybody, <laughs> anybody you want. We've got a thousand of these, and we have them specifically for you. And I'm telling you, these things make a, uh, a mark on the neighborhood. Uh, I don't think we can take Kevin. We'll try. Kevin, we've only got one minute. You've got to give me 30 seconds quick. Thank you. You're on the air. Oh, me? Yes. Okay. Uh, you were talking about power with the church and power, and, and, and why? Why does the church need power? I don't understand that. Thank you. Uh, the reason, uh, look, it, power is the greatest of all things to men. Uh, it's better than money. It's better than looks. It's better than women. It's better than anything. Power is always the aphrodisiac. It's power that makes men run. And why do they want power? They walk into a room and everyone stands and hails them. They love it. Their flesh loves it. Their pride loves it. All that is in the world. They love it and they feed upon it. And that's why they want it. Plus it gives them more money. Join us next week as we, as we go in more to the Book of Romans. And then we will ultimately get back to the Book of Mormon in due time. God bless you guys. Seek the Lord. He will reveal himself. See you next week. <laughs>